Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Bodang Damang Sangang Namasami. <clears throat> when Atan Amaro asked me whether I feel up to giving a talk. I had these different inner voices and I know them already, so <laughs> it's nothing new. So I, I said I hand over to the voice which says, um, I won't miss out a learning opportunity. <laughs> so here I am. It all starts with Avicca. <laughs> Uh, yeah, hopefully it doesn't end with suffering. <laughs> uh, yeah, you may know that um, while you are keeping noble silence, more or less, uh, in the Sangha room we do talk and actually it's really nice to be able to speak you know, about things which come up during the retreat with the sisters and brothers and with Atan Amaro. So it's a rare opportunity actually that we can speak about Dhamma and, and not in a more uh, unusual context. <clears throat> When Ajahn Amaro was kind of introducing Paticca Samuppada, mm. for me what came up was a comparison somehow between different creation myths. Um, because in Buddhism there is actually not a real creation myth. Um, the Buddha really refrained from trying to speak about uh, things in a more spec um, speculative way, or about things which which make the mind speculating. And um, so, the beginning of the world, the end of the world, is not some something he has taught about directly. But sometimes there were situations when. Um, He kind of entered that territory because um, they were talking about different contemplatives, different approaches. So he was comparing sometimes um, where these different views came from. Um, but he didn't really give a. There's no Buddhist creation myth like like in other religions and. Uh, tribal faiths, they all have creation myths, you know, how the world started, how the humans were created. And uh, Christian faith has a very, you know, basic creation myth. And it's all about God creating something, or the, the self, in, in Hinduism, the self creating. Brahma, the self, creating the world. And there are parallels in them. So uh, it's just that it took very different concepts and also very different um, 
consequences in some ways. So we were speaking about in, in one of the Upanishads, it starts, it says somehow it starts with the, it starts, starts with it, the self. In the beginning there was the self, which is the self with a capital S. So divine self, um, yeah, it's the, the that part of the portion Upanishads is called Brahma, so it's it's the Brahman self. And what was very interesting, it, it goes something like in the beginning there was the self, and then fear arose. So why is there fear? Um, and I was wondering, you know, if there is a self, there's fear, because then you have to protect yourself against something. But because it's the big self, it says um, that the self realized that there's nothing to fear because there's nothing apart from the self. But then the self felt lonely and the desire for company came up. So then the self created the woman. So that's, that's you know, the Hindu creation myth. So the Brahma, Brahma didn't, the self didn't say, I'm complete. So the desire came in. The desire for company, for for loving, somehow kind of loving company. <clears throat> and I don't want to go much more into that. It's just very interesting that the Buddha took a different approach. So he didn't speak about the beginning of the world, but he gave us the dependent origination, which starts with avicca, which is the sense of self, delusion. You know. So it's not a, a self with a big S. Um, it's not a divine being. It's delusion, and it it's the cause for all the suffering which comes in the end. Uh, it's not glorified. So, <clears throat> and yet it's it's really the perfect uh, explanation of what the beginning of the world is. And it's not just the beginning of the world in I don't know how many eons ago, it's the beginning of the world right now, how we create our world in, very, in, in every moment. Um, at least that is one understanding of the Paticca Samuppada, that it can be taken as a moment-to-moment -moment arising. And that is actually what Ajahn Sumedho and Ajahn Amaro and Ajahn Chah were teaching about. They were not so interested in the three-lifetime version of the Paticca Samuppada, really more, you know, how to practice with it. And so in that sense, Sankaras, you know, um, is what comes next, the... Uh, um, you know, how we create every part of our lives by our mental, by our thinking. 
by our beliefs, by our mental habits. And I really enjoy this retreat that Atan Amro has made this, um, you know, the theme of this retreat because it gives us the opportunity to really watch closely what we are doing in the mind and really also see the results when we are not so bound up in the running of the monastery or running of family life uh, job, then we are actually able to watch more closely how these things happen, you know, how one leads to the to the next. And also, you know, where this where the suffering arises. You know, where before the suffering becomes so overwhelming, you know, we we start realizing the tension. When Oslo you started speaking about um, you know is it the feeling, you know, where, where where do we stop? You know, is it at the point of feeling? Is it at the point of desire, <coughs> tanha, attachment? Or then when it comes to craving? So I remember Ajahn Sumido speaking, you know, in a way that it wasn't so clearly marked where you have to stop it or were you only one way to stop it I mean he, he was quoting Ajahn Chah that you know usually it goes so quick that it starts and you know and then we hit the ground and it hurts so there's no way to stop in between it's like falling through the branches of a tree and you before you can grab one branch you're already hitting the ground so yeah, that's in normal life, but in meditation, the form, more formal meditation, we, we just slow things down. And I really, you know, the, the way Ajahn Amaro has kind of paced the retreat, that we start with just paying attention to the body, you know, to body sensations, so that we stop because you can only pay attention to one thing. So when you direct attention attention to the body, you can't hang out with thoughts, although they might come in, but then we come back to, you know, feeling the body, feeling the physical sensations of the breath. This is why we concentrate on the breath. It's not because that is a holy method. It's really just a very useful tool to slow down. And then the breath helps us also to notice the breathing, the, how our our breathing is related to what arises in in consciousness. You know, oh, when do we stop breathing? You know, what is happening in consciousness? When are, when are we breathing deeply? When are we breathing more? Kind of shallow so the beginning of the meditation is always directed also to the mood or the mental states we are in which which influence the breathing really <clears throat> so we don't disconnect with the physical with the body we use the physical to slowly come to the present moment and then when that is acknowledged then we can more focus on a meditation object like the breath uh, so we it's not like deadening us no it's just a slow approach to uh, the more subtle sensations which allow the mind to calm down So we spend time with just staying with the breathing. <clears throat> and then I liked what he said about, you know, 95% we should go back to thought. Yes, 
then we have to come back. So that's actually very important, a very important part. It's not a failure, you know, when we start thinking. The moment when we when we realize that we are thinking, actually, that's when the awareness is back. <laughs> and when we have a choice to bring it back to the breath. So that's a good moment. No reason to beat ourselves up for getting it wrong. Um, and also then we realize, you know, what is it that draws our attention away from the breath. So these days have already kind of brought, the first days have already brought us closer to what is happening here, what is happening in the mind. What are we obsessed with? What what is the stuff which is kind of lying on our minds? <clears throat> so meditation is not the way to get away from what is here and now, but it's it's bringing us to the here and now. How we create our lives, you know, moment by moment, and also how to create a more peaceful moment by moment and with that it's it's also not only calming it's then also introducing ways of reflecting um, so now we are in that phase where we watch more how the sense of self is arising um, what we are identified with you know which thoughts show identification is it true desire not wanting wanting to be different wanting to be somewhere else already <clears throat> all causes of suffering And interestingly enough, the, I mean, I can speak about myself, the way I, I'm brought up is really to avoid to do the wrong thing. So, you know, I try hard not to think. And then I suffer because, you know, I do think. And instead of, I'm, I'm, I have really to learn to be interested in, oh, I'm thinking, right. So what is it about? Instead of <laughs> trying to... You know, get it out of the way and back to, you know. So it's it, it can become so uh, dutiful meditation, you know. We try to get it right, try to get it right, and then become become stressed. And if we if we look at it closer, stress is, is actually suffering. So that's actually a, a sign of that we are clinging to something, identifying with something. Um, so then really slowly come to the point of liking and not liking, or pleasant, unpleasant even. It's very interesting that words can really be so subtle that uh, feeling Vedana is, is really this kind of pleasant, un unpleasant. It starts with the sense impressions, so whether through the eye or ear, I mean, usually when we sit in meditation, we have the eyes closed. So sound is also not not very predominant. Temperature at the moment is, you know, physical sensations. And the knees, of course, oh God. You know? <laughs> uh, and after the meal, you know, oh God, you have a full stomach. <laughs> Uh, so um, that is all the realm of, of unpleasant. And then, of course, easily, you know, oh, I don't like it. Oh, why did I eat so much? So then brrr, the thoughts start. We start blaming ourselves. So that's the papancha bit, you know, the, the mental proliferation where we go into judgment, concepts, um, 
It makes the world really complicated and dense, <laughs> tight. And so I would really like to encourage myself and you also to, to really instead of just labeling, I mean, the labels are good, you know, am I now in, in feeling? Yes, I'm in feeling. You know, like, is it already tanha? Is it already upadana? Uh, okay, that's that's helpful maybe to, to get used to these categories, you know, to these concepts. And on the other hand, the teaching is so direct, It's it's really like, it's not about defining necessarily, you know, where, where does the does the suffering start at Tana or Upadana or only when I'm already becoming? Actually, you feel it. You feel it right away. You feel how the tension is building up. You know, this, the, the moment I try to get away from something, there's tension. The moment I don't want to feel something, there's a kind of, shutting down movement, trying to get away from something. So that's that's actually where I can feel that, uh-uh, you know, where's the openness? Openness is gone. And when I like something, it seems like openness, you know, and it's pleasant, yes. But then I want to have it longer, so now the breath is really pleasant, right. <laughs> How can I make it last? <laughs> uh, um. Now it's really still, you know. Oh, don't think about it. <laughs> and so we have these inner commentaries going on. And once we buy into them, they, they densify and intensify. And then it becomes, the world becomes smaller. <clears throat> and then, of course, you know, we can all these these observations. You know, now I'm I'm back into. Oh, I shouldn't. You know, then then we can react to our own inner. A build up of tension and oh, I shouldn't, I should relax. Of course, I should relax never works. And so this is really how we learn to know ourselves, you know, how we, how we make our lives difficult in really moment to moment. Um, so how can you just stay and say yes to what is happening? And with this yes, it's not like I don't mind, you know, it's more, yes, this is what's happening at the moment. Can I accept it? Can I be aware of it? Longpo Sumir is always speaking about present moment awareness as embracing reality, embracing the present moment. Because the moment I embrace it, I, I open up to it. I'm not in a dualistic kind of, oh, I shouldn't be like this. And then embracing it, I can also feel the suffering of it. And then, then trust the inner wisdom to arise that it steers me into the right direction. And it's not me, the, the, the inner wisdom... It's really the wisdom of the heart, which is not I. Not a concept even, you know, it's even beyond words. I mean, I can put words on it, but it doesn't come in the beginning with a word. It's, ah, oh, yeah, ah, oh. like this. It doesn't get a label immediately. So the pro proliferating mind, it's, it's always around, you know, I should, this is good for me, this is not good for me. It's, it is always invested in a sense of me. 
So Papancha is always where the I is getting in the way. So the I is added onto the sense perception. The me, the should, the shouldn't. And that, that makes life really complicated. Then I, I, I'm in the creation process of me, how I should be, how I shouldn't be, what the Buddha said I should do. And that's very interesting because in a way we need to remember the teachings, you know. We, we, in a way we do deal with conceptual knowledge. You know, we chant the Paticca Samuppada in order to memorize it. But not in order to beat ourselves up. It's more in order to internalize it so far that we can actually know it from the heart and know where we are. It's like, like going on a journey. You study the map, but you don't, you know, if you only look at the map, you don't see the landscape. So you, you have to let go of the map. And then you remember, ah, oh, okay, that's, oh, this is what the, you know, the guide spoke about. So we we internalize it, or is, is it internalizing? Is it, in terms of Dhamma, you know, it's something we can know by experience, and maybe the teachings of the Buddha only remind ourselves of what the heart can know by itself. It may not be even internalizing. I mean, maybe internalizing is, is a useful step in the learning process, but even that can be let go of once we, we connect with it from the heart. <clears throat> so this is why, why reading everything is... Not that it's not reading that is is not <clears throat> it's not unhelpful, but if we cling to the reading, it's not helpful. So <clears throat> I was speaking with somebody who wanted to mm, become anagarika, but her parents don't want her to become anagarika. So she's in this conflict that she doesn't really want to... She's the only child in Chinese. Oh, God, you know, and you can't ignore what your parents want for you. So, right. Her parents would be utterly unhappy if she would become a... Or she thinks, you know, um, if she would become a nun or... Anagarika. So, so oh, she's suffering. Um, so she thinks about maybe she could study Buddhism. She, you know, studying is good in Chinese terms, so she could make a PhD in Buddhist studies. <laughs> and I said, yes, if you want to please your parents, that's probably true, but, you know, Studying is when you're in a Western university, you study Buddhism, it's you read about it, but you don't taste it. You know, you don't really get the benefit from it. And it may please your parents, but you may miss the main you may you may miss the main purpose why you want to do it. <laughs> oh good, yes. <laughs> Uh, now she's thinking about it. If I, I, I tell them it's just for a year. <laughs> yeah, this is how we make life complicated. And I mean, I don't, I want, don't want to blame her because. It's we all do it, you know. The, our whole culture is based on this me, I, you know, my duty, my, and you know, 
my parents, my teachers, my... I try to say to her, look, you know, when you say, look, parents, you have given me life, I'm so grateful for you giving me life that I want to give you the best I can. I become a nun. That's, that's the best, you know, the best karma I can do and the best for you. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Sometimes we have to, to entertain other, other ways of thinking, you know, to liberate us, ourselves from, from this kind of, oh, I can't do that because, you know. Our cultural conditioning is so strict and so much about me, you know. When, when you imagine a baby is getting born, a baby doesn't have a me, or not, not consciously. I mean, it may marinate in, in the mother's me, you know, in the mother's thinking, because there's no separation in that state. And, but children, you know, they have to learn that this is your name, and this is you, and this is your brother. And when, when children count, you know, to the number of people sitting around the table, they count one, two, five, yes. And they don't count themselves, because, you know, there's nobody here. <laughs> if they don't get the ice cream, then, the, you know, then you have a problem. So it needs six ice creams, but they wouldn't count themselves. And, and the, the adults laugh happily about, you know, when a child does that. And they know you, you have to count yourself, you have to go, you. <laughs> so we actually have to learn that there's a me here, there's, there's an I here. You know, you have this in, in English verses, how is it? I, I know it's, you have these rhymes for children. Anyway, I, I'm not brought up, but I, I overheard it and it's all about, oh yeah, that's me, you know, because it doesn't come naturally, you know, you have to teach children again and again. Yeah, this is you. You have to take care of yourself. I remember Ajahn Tiradamo. Um, he was in Thailand and he did intensive concentration practice. And I don't know for what reason. I think at some point it was about visa, something. They wanted to know his name. And he couldn't remember his name. <laughs> he had to look in his passport. <laughs> <laughs> so meditation can bring us to, to this emptiness of mind, you know, where these these uh, concepts are forgotten, you know, we, they're kind of emptied out from the mind. I mean, that's not the ultimate wisdom either, but um, I think Ajahn Chah's method to have formal meditation and have to have, and to have working medi meditation involve monks and nuns in running of the mon and the running of the monastery work projects was meant to you know allow us to go back and forth between the more empty states and the more conventional identities and aims and values you know you have in when when we just meditate and hear the teachings it's it's more about absolute truth but then in in order to function in daily life i mean and you know that especially you have you know the conventional truth you know there is actually a me and a you and this is mine and that bottle is yours and i i better don't grab that <laughs> So we have the precepts, which is all about the conventional truth, you know, to keep that straight, because otherwise we, we do end in trouble. And 
So we have to live in two worlds at the same time. And this is really, again, meditation retreats are so good for that. You get slightly confused sometimes. You're, Wait a moment, you know, but there's a sense of me, me. Um, yes. And it's a feeling. It's just a mental... Um, Yeah, there was something here. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> and then I really love this. Okay, so we have the, the mental proliferation where it's all about me, you know, me, this is good for me, this is not good for me. If I do this, then that happens. Oh, no, no, I don't want that. I have to make sure that so this is endless and so we try to step out of that and okay breath and then slowly turn towards thought you know what what are the identifications yeah I have to I, I should I should meditate better I should concentrate better, I should focus better, I should think less, I should, 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 I, I, yes. And then just into this empty space to say I and let it resonate. Instead of, of pushing thought away, using thought for reflection. So it's not proliferating, it's not this conceptual thinking, it's just like you let something drop into a still pool of water and it does make ripples. Just watch these ripples. And when we are not identified with the thought, then there's space around the thought. And it may vanish and there's stillness again. Or there might be kind of, oh, right. Yeah, but me, me, me. You know, so we can feel so disoriented without this sense of me reference. And it's not something to push away. It's just, oh, where does that come from? So it's again, it's suffering is so much about wanting to become or trying to avoid to become. Not, not wanting. And so we have to. I think we have. I. I definitely. I'm. I'm very much a person of not wanting to be here. So my suffering is a lot about uh, trying to get away and not being able to get away from it. So for me, it's very important to to learn to embrace what is and to forgive myself for not being able to do it better. I'm German, you know, we are terrible. <laughs> we are terrible achievers. <laughs> <laughs> we have to get it right. Oh, so for me not to get it right is so much about, yes, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Just to notice, you know, I'm suffering when I don't get it right. Okay, can I forgive myself for not getting it right? Mm. Yes, it's actually quite nice not to have to get it right. <laughs> so if I stop forcing myself, it's actually quite peaceful. So loving kindness is really the like the mother giving her life for her child, her only child. So I'm here, I'm giving my life to this child which is desperate to get it right. You know, to embrace this child, you're okay if you don't get it right. That's right, because this is how we learn. If I just try to get it right, I learn in a different way, but I don't learn this letting go. I just learn to cling more to 
the possibility of achieving, of being su successful, being clever. But I don't learn to get let go. So monastic training is the ultimate <laughs> ultimate training in letting go and, and not getting what I want. It's I don't know how I managed to survive so many years. But slowly, slowly I I do see the result and I do enjoy the result. Right. I don't have to get anywhere. Thank you. And it's not a position of defeat. It's really a position of of noticing what is, opening up to what is. I, Atan Sumido was making me crazy. Here. It's the way it is. It's like this. So what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like walking meditation, just, you know, feeling the grass, you know, feeling the foot on the grass, feeling the sensation, the kind of hard piece of grass, right. Trying to get away when it's too hard, right. Just resting in this moment with whatever the sensation is. I mean, I would jump if there's a thorn, but most of the most of the little pains are bearable. Just resting with a little pain and resting when the, you know, it's soft. Oh wow, great! <laughs> so that that just being in the moment with every step. I mean, barefoot to walk barefoot is is a very intense experience, and it helps really staying in the moment. <clears throat> I really like that when I go to the Kuti, sometimes I have a slightly different speed from people who just do walking meditation and slow, to slow down. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole retreat is set up to bring, bring us, you know, to this moment. Nothing much happening. Or maybe really just learning to know that this nothing much is actually all that is happening, all that is important to notice. Not being ahead of things, no. Vedana, feeling pleasant, unpleasant. And met so much is that we don't even notice because that's the that's the neutral bit, you know, where we don't even notice things because the mind is so much drawn to what we like or especially to what is painful. So when we sit in meditation and the knees start hurting, there's only knees, you know, there's no breath left. So we have really to make a deliberate effort to breathe Maybe breathe into the knees, make space with the breath around the knees. And to notice that it's bearable. That's actually, we can even relax into the pain. And that is such a, I don't want to call it achievement. My mind could make it an achievement. You know, it's more like, oh. It's a, such a relief when pain is not making us tense, mm. but when we manage to relax into the pain. And it's especially important because we have bodies, you know, we, uh, being in a human body means that we have to deal with pain and to learn ways to make peace with pain is so important. Because then we don't have to kind of try to distract ourselves with all kinds of, you know, things. Ajahn Amaro was speaking about the brain, the, um, different parts of the brain, so the limbic system or the amphibic. <coughs> 
brain, which is all about comfort and getting what I want. It doesn't even have a memory in that sense. It's, it's instinctual, driven by instinct, really comfort, survival, and territorial. This is mine. There's not much learning capacity in that. It's, it's really on the level of instinct. Um, and then the mammals, they have developed something like a memory, so they can distinguish between present and past, which is why, why mammals are able to learn, why they can develop a kind of intelligence which is going beyond the instinctual level. So we all know that monkeys are able to learn because they the seven now the sevens are so you know you can use a stick to get something get a food from the tree so they can learn by experience and it's actually they have done a lot of research it's not just monkeys you know nearly every mammal they have found out how how they develop their intelligence and human beings, as, as soon as we get up on our feet, there's even one level more because we can look around and have a wider view. And then the neocortex has developed, which is actually then also where we can start to plan. And we have past, present, and future. So this is why, why human intelligence is, is able to build houses and uh, have universities <laughs> because we we the the mental realm becomes so rich but of course it also becomes uh, the the possibilities of attachments become very rich so the human mind can worry a dog can't worry so the the worrying mind is is really depending on the uh, possibility to think about the future so it's it's a blessing and it's a curse at the same time. And then the last last development in the brain brain are the frontal lobes, which is really more where compassion happens, loving kindness, compassion is developed, uh, ethical behavior. So on the, the realm of precepts, you know, is, is possible because we have the higher intelligence where we can think beyond I, me. So 40,000 years development of frontal lobes. It's not long in terms of history of this earth. <laughs> So I don't know, I would be careful <clears throat> to <clears throat> liken the <clears throat> capacity of the mind with the capacity of the brain because, you know, the modern science thinks that, believes that the brain ca capacity is actually... Um, enabling, you know, our mind function. And in terms of Buddhism, that doesn't quite sound right. Um, so Longpo Sumeru would say the brain is in the mind, not the mind is in the brain. And it's, it's our way of thinking about it. Uh,
So what matters is, is, you know, not what we think, but the attitude we have towards the thinking. It's, it's really the awareness of what we are thinking, how we are thinking, what we are attaching to, what the results are, you know, whether it leads to suffering or it leads to happiness and ease. So that's that's uh, Buddhist intelligence. You know, it's not about creating higher buildings and faster trains and uh, getting to the moon or to the wherever. Um, it's really trying to refrain from unnecessary tension and complexity and coming back to the peace of the mind and the heart. <clears throat> I had a, I wrote something down which I wanted to mention and I could have lied. I tried, I thought if I get lost I grabbed this paper and I didn't really get lost, but um, all right. Okay, I just read it. He, the Buddha, was very clear about what we are not our thoughts, our body, our ideas, our moods our achievements, or our faults, our problems. The question may then naturally arise, what am I? What is the self? The Buddha kept reiterating that this is the wrong question. Yeah, he actually nearly never defined anything, you know, when all, all questions about self, he said that's the wrong question. Rather than trying to define what we are, we learn to let go of what we are not. And then the reality of our nature becomes apparent. So that's a quote from Atan Amaro from The Missing Piece. I think that fits actually quite well as a final... Quote, I don't have to explain that any longer. <laughs> so, I hope that uh, helps you reflecting and moving on during this retreat. <laughs>